You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick, and I'm happy to have you with us. So I want to ask people out there if they've ever stumbled into a relationship where you just, you're like, this is going to work. This is going to be a good relationship, I can tell. And it's going to click on so many levels professionally, and I'm kind of naming what what my guest and I have in, in connection, but professionally as a mom, female, core values, all these things, laughing, you know, just going to connect on so many levels. And you stumbled into that relationship. And so for me, a more introverted person, that's, I think, really hard to do. So I can tell you, it's not about me. It's about who we're going to talk about today, that her vibe, where she just makes people feel welcome, at ease, safe with who they are, and if anybody she meets. And I think that's probably why you're, when we get to you, a big reason why you're so successful in your field. And so I just want to say we're excited to have that person, Cassie Berger, with us today. So your list of what you do and your accomplishments, senior regional sales manager for sure, an audio manufacturer and leader in the audiovisual industry. She, You represent women in the, that industry in the local chapter, and you just ended a board term with, and I'm going to say this wrong, is it a VIXA organization? A VIXA. All right. right. And... Two, mother of two young girls, so like the the accolades and the work doesn't stop; it just work. Now you've got two daughters also that you're raising. So all of those accomplishments. Tell us more about that kind of. Again, I gave a summary, but what do you really do? Sure. Um, so I've been in the audiovisual industry for gosh, I hate. I actually was calculating this, and I was like, oh, it's over ten years. We're just going to say that. So did over I make you ten do that? years. Did I make you calculate that <laughs> for this? Yeah. I was like, do I go over under? Um, so over ten years, uh, but I've I've been in different um, aspects of the industry. So I actually started out working with my dad, moved into as an independent rep, moved into integration, who would be my customer today and then moved on to um, the manufacturing side and uh, started out in marketing, moved into sales. So I've kind of touched a lot of different areas um, in the industry. You mentioned working with women, so I do represent the um, Women in Avixa Council for the local chapter. Uh, in Missouri and Illinois. And then I had just left Avixa serving on the leadership search committee, which we were actually responsible for finding qualified, appropriate individuals to serve on the board of directors. And I was in that position for three years, and it gave me a ton of opportunities to interface with a lot of different individuals um, in our industry and outside of our industry as well. So it's uh, I'm trying to summarize as well. It's it's been a great career thus far. I love my industry and what I do and the people and connections I've made. And then obviously the biggest part of my life is trying to be a mom while doing that. And so while I I did raise my kids primarily as a stay at home mom for the first four years, uh, I took on a very aggressive role with travel for the last six going on at seven. Uh, so just trying to manage being a mom and being a professional over the last decade plus. Has been over fun. 10 years. O- over 10 years. Under 20. Over 10. 
I'm going to write notes and things and bring things up later that we talk about because uh, you've already said a couple of things that I want to touch back upon. But where you're at today, how did that kind of evolution get started to Cassie today to selling and, and being at Shore? You go to college. What are you thinking? What do you want to be? Was it before then? Oh, gosh, I hated college. I was really good at not doing well in college. <laughs> Um, and it's funny because where I went, we actually have our products deployed over 500 rooms currently. And so we had the opportunity recently to visit University of Missouri and travel the campus and walk around to the different lecture halls where we have products. And, uh, and they, of course, are asking, oh, well, Cassie, you went here, you know, do you remember this lecture hall? I was like, no, but I remember that tree over there. And I remember that. That bench over there and you know there's a great bar down the street <laughs> so college I didn't really focus on what I wanted to do at all but I look back and it taught me how to make connections obviously so where I didn't maybe take studying too seriously it did contribute to where I am today in weird ways and then I moved into motherhood at a young age and and was married and and stay-at-home mom and once again, uh, didn't focus on career because as any stay-at-home mother knows or stay-at-home dad or any parent who was at home during the pandemic um, kind of was able to experience being at home with your children as a career in and of itself. It's a job and it's the hardest one out there in my opinion. So I didn't focus on career. Really, I did work with my dad who's in audiovisual for that time. So I, I worked more doing the bookkeeping and social media, started traveling with him a little bit towards the end of my stay at home period. And uh, that's what really launched me into the industry and falling in love with audiovisual. And it was more the people than anything else. It was the technology was interesting to me, but it was the relationships and the ability to learn something, take that knowledge, spread it, see where it applies. And it was kind of everything that was wrapped into technology, but relationships and how much the relationships drove decision-making. So it was, it was like I could sell something that was horrible if I found the redeeming qualities in that piece of technology, but what really is going to make a lasting sale or relationship or impression is going to be how I, I talk to that person and what I'm really selling. Am I selling this bad technology or good technology or am I creating loyalty and relationship with the customer? And that turns into friendships. So wherever I move, I can now deal with them moving forward, if that makes sense. It does. There's so much there. Because one, when you said you were you did bookkeeping, I'm thinking that's not her personality at right? all. She not, wants to be horrible. out there uh, building relationships, yeah. meeting people, sure. asking questions, learning about people. <laughs> it's kind of funny that you stumbled into that. But that makes sense that the social media and everything was an outlet for you to travel and do what you do well. It gave me the opportunity to meet the right people to spread my wings and move forward. So it gave me the opportunity as a stay-at-home mom to dabble in the industry, to dabble into a professional environment, to get to know the right people, to then be able to move forward when I was ready to take on a career in the industry without any previous experience or education really to speak of to be successful. So 
everything kind of goes back to relationships. Everything goes back to um, opportunity and being able to take advantage of opportunity when it is presented. The bookkeeping, I can't accredit too much of where I am today to that, but it was a good experience. Well, in, in preparing for today and knowing you to a great extent, but knowing you more just by preparing for today, like I said, one of the questions I had in my mind was, you're so successful now. And you brought up being a stay-at-home mom, and that's a really hard, difficult job, career. And then being able to dabble a little bit with your dad. And is looking back, would you still stay at home? Would you like? There, I, I imagine there's got to be a million challenges of staying at home, and then at some point getting back into a career. And looking back, would you do it the same way? I made the decision when I made the decision to take the position at Sure. Um, I had recently gone through a divorce. I was a year into it, and I had been working with a different company uh, locally, an integrator locally in audiovisual. And when I was presented the opportunity at Sure, based on relationships that I had made working with my dad years before. It was definitely the toughest decision to make for me because it meant taking on a career out of state, for one, and more of a very demanding schedule, especially for the first one to two years. And so the decision to kind of move away from being a stay-at-home mom or even a normal or being home mom, like being in St. Louis mom, moving into a remote position, being a remote mom, that was tough. And I often asked myself, would I make that decision again? Because I missed a lot of uh, kid events and school activities in my first two years taking on that new role. And I'm not a person that believes in regrets. I believe everything, every opportunity, good or bad, presents us with uh, the ability to move forward in ways we don't expect and, and don't maybe design for ourselves, but what is best for us. And I, I don't, a lot of people ask me if I regret missing that time. I don't. I, I wish I could have managed it better, but I did the best that I could and it's why I am where I am today, and I have to only be grateful. So I, I missed, I missed being a mom, a stay-at-home mom um, at that point in time. But I've also now gotten to a position in my career in life where I have a lot more control over when I can be home, and I wouldn't be in this position if I didn't make those tough decisions back then. So, and I have teenagers, preteens almost teenagers now. So the wanting to be a stay at home mom again, you couldn't pay me enough money to be a stay at home mom now. It's it's funny you say that I think there definitely is a struggle an internal battle. <clears throat> I don't know if men face it as much as women or as moms. But that internal battle of wanting to needing to in some cases, right, have that career, uh, bring home that paycheck, maybe even just its uh, success and knowledge and want to continue to challenge. But then that pull to to stay home and be at everything. And 45, three kids who are pretty self-sufficient, I still struggle with that today. And so I imagine, I, I just was thinking that, you know, again, staying at home, having those years and then having to shift out, that's such a, a transition challenge that, you know, maybe it's easier just to not ever stay at home and have to do that total switch in direction. Or not ever go out into the 
professional world. So either or, I mean, there's, there is a big, it's a hard decision. And of course, everybody has an opinion of what you should do, which makes it that much harder. And depending on where you are in life and where you are professionally and how old your children are, um, whether it's family members, friends, other parents at school, so not even friend category, just people who tend to have an opinion about your life, it's hard to not listen to that noise and focus on what is best. Maybe you don't know why it's best today, but what you truly feel is best for you and your family. And that's what I had to do. And of all the people who told me I was making the wrong decision at that point in time, which in my heart, it felt like it was the right decision. I couldn't tell you why, but it just felt like an opportunity I would never ever have otherwise. And I felt like this has to be a sign or a message, something I should do. And the one person that was completely supportive of my decision to take on the position in Chicago was actually my grandmother of all people, which was one of the last people I would expect to be supportive of uprooting myself, my children, making a decision to take on this position with extensive travel. She was the one that said, you need to do this for you and your children will appreciate the sacrifices that you are making in the long term and they will see your dedication to being both a professional as well as a mom. And I, you know what, Cynthia, like I've, I'm not, a. this might be not surprising to you. I don't cry often, but I cried a lot in those first two years. You know, these days it's like, do my tear ducts still work? I think so. But in this, well, it sounds like you challenged yourself enough back then to uh, yeah. work through big pains. In those first two years, it was the most challenging experience, and I and a lot of people were wanting me to fail. A lot of people I know were looking at me and saying, "She's gonna know that she made the wrong decision," and and I didn't. And six years later, I look back, and it was the best decision I could have made for my family and myself. Gosh, I mean, two things there, like you said, of all the people to give you that support, that push, say, go get it, your grandmother, which, you know, I'm thinking her generation of women, right, dealing with a lot different. So I'd be interested when I get through these two points to hear what you think her perspective or why that came from her. And then I'm going to have to follow up and ask when you say people wanted you to fail, like who, why, you know, what what surrounded that? So you pick where you want to start, but those two things really stood out to me like I need to ask more. I think the people wanting you to fail part, everybody is going to experience this in, in some capacity in their life, even if you're not aware of it. People like to have control over you. When they have control over you, they have the ability, they, they feel better about themselves first off, but they know that it gives them power. And we all as humans want power in whatever capacity we can, we can have it. And this could be something innocent. They don't realize they're doing it. They think they're helping you. They think that they have your best at heart. And so, and they usually present it that way. The ones that we love the most, and I, I catch myself doing this with my kids, I feel like I know my child better than my child knows themselves. And so I will tell them, no, you should not do this sport. You're going to regret the decision to do this sport. I'm using a silly example, but at the end of the day, if they want to do it, they should try it. Who am I to try and tell them otherwise? But in an adult position and in a high level capacity, it's easy for others to try and control what you do. And that could be a spouse, that could be a parent, that could be a colleague, that could be a boss, that could be just a significant other in general. It could be children too. People try to control 
your situation. And when I say people wanted me to fail or were waiting for me to fail, I almost, I don't even say that in a malicious sense, but I do feel like it gives them control back. It gives them somebody the ability to say, you went the opposite way that I told you to go and it didn't work out and I was right and you're never gonna leave me again because I was right and you should always listen to me. So they get that control back. And I wonder too if it's about, it's easier for me to try to control your life than versus any having to internalize and, and figure out my own life. And if I screw up here, that's all on me. Oh, yeah. But I told you, you didn't listen. And so that's your mistake. We project a lot of ourselves on others and or our, our shortcomings. And a lot of the time, too, if we made if we feel like we made the wrong decisions and then we see somebody else make the right decision and we look at it and we're like, you know, it's, it's kind of a shot to ourself and we don't want to accept that feeling. So when somebody else is given an opportunity, it's not even jealousy. It's not something that we're looking, gosh, I wish that was me. I, I'm going to tell them not to do that. It's nothing like that. It's just feeling like, to your point, you're projecting that feeling of um, self-disappointment or I don't know the word I'm looking for, but you're projecting that on them. Or holding them back. And I do think you're right. Like there's, there are some people who might be malicious, but there are a lot of people who either unknowingly or feel like they have your best interest heart because they made that mistake or they, you know, they're older, whatever, or they may have done it themselves, whatever the case might be that it's not always malicious. Or they felt like they couldn't. And right. And maybe they wish. So you shouldn't. So you shouldn't because I didn't feel like I could. So why should you be able to? Or in the non-malicious sense and very innocent sense, I would have been overwhelmed doing this. You are going to be overwhelmed doing this. You are not going to be able to do this. This is going to be a disaster because I would feel like it as much as I would want to do that. It's going to be overwhelming. So how do you think your grandmother got over all that? Like, We're talking about a lady who had four children, military wife, uh, stay at home, and the last person I really expected to tell me, as I mentioned, to take this position. But I think she knows how independent I am. We're very similar. I jokingly say, I know how I'm going to be in the next 60 years because I watch my grandmother. I'm like, that's me. I mean, anybody who, who meets her, that's that's me. When I'm in my 80s, that's, that's going to be me. So I, I think knowing that we are very similar uh, and knowing how independent I am, um, and that I'm not going to let failure or the uh, the challenge or a challenge stand in my path. I might end up failing. It might not work out, but I need to at least try. I need to do it. I need to give it my all. And I think she knew that. And so she knew that it was something I had to do. If she wasn't there with support, would that have changed your or uh, impacted your decision at all? I'm not sure. At that point, I don't think so. As I mentioned, I had come out of a divorce. I had two small children at the time. I believe they were three and five. I had a very strong support system with my parents. And I did know even if they questioned my ability to take this position, that they were going to be supportive with my decision at the end. And they were. I can't even tell you what I don't know that I could have continued working at Sure had it not been my, for the support of my family and my parents stepping in and really being involved with the girls. 
so that was monumental. But uh, even if she wasn't there, I think I, I still would have made the same decision. I just wouldn't have maybe had the same confidence moving into it. I think I would have had more self-doubt than I had. And I don't, before getting deeper into your background, I didn't realize that you had actually moved, moved. So initially we were talking about you took this new position, you're traveling a lot, Mm -hmm. but like, no, you're actually living in a totally different city, which in the Midwest, okay, St. Louis and Chicago seems close, but also in the Midwest, it's like, you want me to go how far? So you moved, lived in Chicago. So did the girls stay here? And you had to commute back with splitting your time and things. Did they come up with you? I mean, I can't even imagine the logistical challenges with also taking on a new position, new company, building your career. It was a relocation position when I accepted the role. And I had let the com- I would let sure know that I had my daughters in St. Louis and I could not move them. And so we negotiated more of a flexible schedule. They knew that I had the girls Mondays and Tuesdays and every other weekend. And I was able to essentially go back and forth from St. Louis to Chicago every week. I would typically, for the first six months, fly in almost every Sunday and um, be there for the week. I had my my apartment there, and then my I lived with my parents for the first year in St. Louis with the girls. And so I'd just go back and forth every week, and it was a lot. That was the most challenging time, those, those first six months. But after six months, I negotiated being able to come in on a Wednesday and stay until Friday and then fly back to St. Louis. And then the second year I was able to essentially come in every other week and so it was less and less and then the pandemic hit and so I was able to actually get rid of my apartment in Chicago after four years completely and now I'm based out of St. Louis and I'm going up to Chicago or elsewhere a couple times a month but the first six months with the official kind of relocation and being primarily in Chicago was incredibly challenging. Once again, without my my family and their support, it, I wouldn't have been able to do it. It, it. I probably would have failed. But And there were a lot of times that I asked if I could do it, if I could keep doing it. Uh, but I think looking forward to whatever the next so many years or opportunities led to, this led to, gave me the drive to keep doing it. And it was not easy. And I can't repay my family enough for being supportive during that time. But looking back, it was the right decision. What is it the family support? Like if you could pinpoint or list bullet point, what got you through that? It, was it, you know, some people have mantras, they say, or meditation or like, was there anything specific that got you through it? Or just every day? I just got to get through today. Got to get through today. I never was... I guess that's not true. As a stay-at-home mom, I was very organized and had a lot of routines in place for the kids when they were young, but routine. And it was getting into the same habits and having what you do when you get to the airport, doing the same thing. When you get to, when I get to Chicago, doing the same thing. When I get back to St. Louis, just having habit and routine in place helped a lot. The mantra, no, I was gonna, I was jokingly gonna say wine helps. A lot, uh, especially when I would get to Chicago or be in Chicago after work, things like that. But no, it was just keeping, keeping 
a structure in place and keeping a structure in place for the girls too, as much as I possibly could, because that gave me kind of that every single week. Okay. I'm on the same flight. I'm on the same flight coming home. We're doing the same thing. And it it just gave me that outlook of what the week felt like and should look like. What makes me think, and I'll probably butcher this, but uh, makes me think, I think it's James Clear and Atomic Habits talks about, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your processes, your systems. So it sounds like, like I just need a high baseline here of what are my processes, systems, let's keep those habits, and then just powering through and having that support around you. Yes, but that's also a bad thing because then when you have to change your habits, change your routine, change things, or things happen out of your control, which we love our control, then it's very challenging too. And so it's an adjustment. And I think the biggest challenge is when we're throwing a curveball and we're so used to having that structure in place. And even if we set the bar high, it's it's hard to take a moment and not let that totally disrupt everything else around us. When we lose that ounce of control or something changes in our routine or something um, forces us to change a habit or divert away from one, that can be scary. And I don't think, I I haven't read, that book is sitting on my shelf. waiting to be read i know you work out so, <laughs> so waiting to be uh, read. book something uh, i have a lot of books though about about habit as well and um i'm uh, it's something i'm constantly working on being able to adjust in the moment do you think that's a, a a you thing a mom thing is that you know cassie is it a high level career thing i'm not really thing? sure i think women are more prone to that reaction because I feel like we tend to take on and harbor more responsibility, even if we shouldn't, we feel like we have to. And so we have a tendency to do that more. I could be totally wrong in that. I do also feel like as a mother, it does influence and influence it. And then a professional in general, we're gonna have that. So if you have the trifecta of being a female mother, who's also a professional, we're kind of out of luck. <laughs> we're going to struggle a little bit in that area. I do. I will say, because I, I know I'm older than you, that age helps with that somewhat because you learn things are just out of your control. But being a CPA and a CFP, clearly I like order. And that's the only reason why I'm throwing those uh, initials out there. I remember when I first uh, interviewed to work where I'm at now, Manetta, that he, uh, my partner had asked me, he's like, you're a CPA, so you must like order this and that. What's, you know, things just come at us sometimes. We can't uh, control that. We need to adapt. And so are you going to be okay with that? And actually, my story to him was, you know what, being a parent has really set me up well for that. And when I started here, my youngest was one. And so I had three kids, what that'd be probably one, three or four and six or seven. And I said, well, here's I'll tell you about adapting. And having a plan and adapting. I said, so if my husband and I are like, wait, tomorrow morning, we're going to go to the zoo. And, you know, when your kids are young, you're getting up so early. And you're also trying to beat traffic or whatever. And the St. Louis Zoo is huge. So we're going to go to the zoo. So the night before, I'm going to get the stroller in the car. I'm going to pack lunches and snacks. I'm going to get the diaper bag ready. I'm going to have everything ready. Because I know most likely everything in the morning will not go to his plan, you know, go as planned. Uh, Somebody's going to spit up on themselves. Somebody's going to blow out a diaper or whatnot. So sometimes I wonder if having the control also allows me to handle 
the chaos a little bit better with. I lived only in chaos. I don't know. Would I would I survive on a daily basis? And you see the two extremes, right? As you mentioned, I identify more being prepared. I get everything done the night before. I'm ready to go for the next day. And that makes me feel comfortable. I can sleep better at night knowing I'm kind of ready. But to your point, then something happens the next day. Everything goes away. Nothing works. And you have to adjust in the moment. Maybe somebody who wasn't prepared the night before can adjust better. I, I or, or worse. I'm not sure. I feel like now I am much more equipped to manage things out of my control. When things, I, I'm in a position now, especially with travel, if you asked me six years ago, something came up, I would feel like I couldn't cancel a trip. I would feel like I'm stuck. I would feel very overwhelmed. I would feel very anxious. I'd be in panic mode of what am I going to do? I can't change this this plan. I can't adjust. And today, it would be very easy for me to say, okay. We're going to change this. I'm not going to go this place. I'm going to adjust and be here. I'm going to, or vice versa. And I wouldn't feel any, an ounce of anxiety or stress over making those types of in the moment decisions, even if they're considered big ones. Why do you think the change, what's happened? I think we realize that it's not the end of the world. It's not as big as we feel it is. I think we all feel that that weight on our chest too much. And when you realize that all it is is weight, and the second that you mentally lift that, which you have the ability to do so, you're freeing yourself of all of that negative impact it has on you. And so realizing that I'm in the piece I am in control of is how I feel about things and my ability to lift those weights and not put as much pressure on myself over everything then it makes everything else easier to deal with in the moment. So do you think that's age experience? If so, how do we teach younger people to learn that lesson earlier on? I do, because even having conversations with children, as you probably do with yours, they're studying for a test. They're doing something which I know we talked about my love for education. I'm no assistance whatsoever when it comes to studying. And they're stressed out and they're upset and and uh, and or it could be something happened that day and it seems like the end of the world or they're worried about something in general. And I try to tell them all the time to lift that weight, to lift that pressure. I had this conversation last night with my oldest daughter. Don't go to bed with those worries because they're not, they shouldn't affect, I mean, it shouldn't, they're not that big at the end of the day. And you hate to see your child struggle with things that you know aren't important long-term. But being able to communicate to that, that to them if somebody's figured it out, let me know. Because I, I haven't, I'm trying. But I also think that it, it is important for children and adolescents and young adults to go through the, the waves of experience and feeling those feelings and feeling that pressure to be able to get to the point that, you've, that you realize how much control you have over it. And I think some people get to their soon get there sooner than others based on experience. People always say, "Oh, you're older than you act to somebody that they meet, or you are an old soul, that type of thing." And I think that that just um, attests to somebody's life experiences and how they've kind of 
come arrived at this point sooner than others, maybe. But I think I liked what you said there, too, is what I've learned as the kids have gotten a little bit older and just learning and reading myself. You've got to acknowledge the feeling. So I remember kind of growing up and it was always, oh, don't think that way. Don't feel that way. Like, it's really not that important. But now more and more say, okay, acknowledge the feelings there and then try to say, okay, in a, in a month, in a year, am I going to really worry about this? And actually, I just had a conversation with my youngest this past week and uh, she was talking about being lonely or whatever. And I just said, your feelings are very real. So I'm not going to take away your feelings. But now let's talk about what piece of that do you control? And let's also talk about, you know, five years from now, are you, you know, we've got some choices we can make, things we can do. Uh, are you going to be worried about that in five years, et cetera? But I think five years ago as a parent, I would have been like, don't worry about it. You're, you know, six years old. It's not a big deal. But then, you know, in my adult life, I hate it when people tell me, well, don't worry about it. Don't feel that way. Or right. I know this scares you, but just go and do it anyway. I don't see what's holding you back. And acknowledging those feelings or talking through it maybe is helpful. I don't know. Like you said, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I'm learning from everyone I meet in every book I read, but uh, trying to figure out how we help people learn this stuff earlier. I think you're right. Letting and and society does such a better, a better job of this today than they did 10, 15, 20 years ago when we were kids, you are supposed to feel and you're encouraged to feel and you're encouraged to express yourself. I Nobody can, can argue that. Everybody is encouraged to express who they are and how they feel um, to the best of their ability. Schools definitely encourage children to express themselves more today than they did 20 years ago. But I also think a lot of it is as the child themselves. My oldest, when she she started drawing how she feels, she illustrates how she feels. And she will actually draw be these beautiful faces and the expression on the faces. Like she was angry one day or, or had anger or frustration. And I asked her what she was drawing and it was this head, an outline and a forest on top of it and there was like a wildfire and i found that very interesting um just her way of expressing she's like i just need to express this is how she needed to express herself and felt like she was able to and i can't you know to me i look at that and i'm like i don't know what this means there's a there are trees coming out of a head and a fire <laughs> but i don't want to discourage if that's the way that she's expressing herself i can't discourage that and i'm just grateful that she's finding a way to do so because the last thing we want for our children and the same advice we should give ourselves and listen to is don't suppress those feelings and certainly don't feel something or feel a way somebody wants you to feel because that's what you should feel yeah, and I think that's important in probably just business, right? And how do we build our own careers and relate to others? Because you talked a lot about relationships. <laughs> you talked, as you mentioned, not really good at school, but really good at the connection part. So I'm getting to where you're at today and how successful you are as a salesperson, salesperson. But I mean, it would seem to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the audiovisual techie world is probably more male dominated. Fair to say? Fair, very fair to say. <laughs> so I would say there's probably some challenges potentially that you've had to face and overcome, which 
again, your story is a lot of overcoming challenges, getting outside the box, being courageous. As you think back to getting into sure and being successful where you're at, things that we've talked about today, we're not talked about yet today. What are those that you had to overcome and be courageous at or whatever to be successful in sales? So going back to your original question in the beginning about, you know, did I go to school with an idea of what I wanted to be and and maybe why I responded the way I did, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I thought, you know, I'm good at writing, so maybe I want to be a journalist. Maybe I, I had no concept of what I wanted to do. I really didn't. I knew that I was creative, and I, I also knew that I had, well, now, I didn't know at the time, but now I realize I had that sales mentality or that ability to kind of build the relationships that is required in sales. And that's not something that can be taught. Um, so looking back, it's it's no mystery why I didn't really appreciate going to college or an, an education. It, it just didn't, it's not something that I identify with or really understand. And so coming into a sales role, when I when I started at Sure, I mentioned I came in as a marketing manager. And one of the first things I said when I came into my position was, I don't believe in marketing fluff. I don't believe in marketing campaigns that are designed to look pretty and don't target the end user or the customer and don't actually help or aid the channel and don't sell products. I don't believe in throwing money at ridiculous ads that don't do anything to generate revenue. And if you're hiring me in this position, I'm the wrong person because that is not, I am not the person that's gonna come in and design advertisements for you and design campaigns that are fluffy and don't do anything for the sales representatives. I'm not gonna show you KPIs. I. I'm not going to show you any of that. And I'm not going to follow a marketing cloud on Salesforce. And I think that's actually why I was hired at the time, because uh, the individuals I spoke to were kind of like, okay, well, that's a good thing because she's right. We spend a ton of marketing money on campaigns that we don't see an ROI on, and maybe this person, somebody who can come in and help us realize what our true, who our true targets are, what the messaging should be, and how we can create tools and resources designed for the channel opposed to basing them on marketing campaigns we're told to do. And I had some initial pushback at the time just because it was, we were doing things differently and we had a strong team of individuals who had been doing their jobs for a long time and, and, and do their jobs very well. And we did have to change what we were doing, but it, it's been, a, it was a wonderful experience. It really, uh, I think, shifted mindset of how we were targeting our channel and the resources we were using or, or not using. But coming in as a new person in general to a large organization was a challenge in and of itself, coming in as a female. And there are, at sure, there are plenty of female. In fact, our, our CEO is Christine Chavink, and she's been with the company for a long time. And so it's, it's not a challenge at my organization. It was more a challenge in the industry as a whole at the time. 
I had a ton of support coming into my position and even transitioning into the sales role, which they knew upon, you know, during my lovely interview process, they knew I was more sales minded. Uh, so that was kind of a natural transition. But the the struggle has really been being a female in a male dominant industry when it comes to engaging with customers, engaging with the rest of my industry outside of my organization. What pieces what do you think is so challenging when you talk about engaging? I realized this when I first started working with the company I mentioned before my current position. My first challenge was kind of, I would call a customer, and this could be an account that they've had for a long time, or it could be a cold call. I would call a customer, and because it's a male-dominant industry, they're like, oh, okay, female voice. She wants to come in and and pitch this, or she wants to do a walkthrough. Um, She wants to participate in the bid. Sure, we'll entertain her. I mean, why not? We're initially, if it was a male counterpart, he might not have gotten that meeting. I, I always was given the meeting, the opportunity to come in. And my male counterparts would sit there and be like, well, damn, I tried getting in with that customer and they wouldn't see me. So it sounds like initially, initially being different being different was helpful. Was very helpful. You get the meeting in my experience. Now, the interesting part is when you're in the meeting, uh, it's very apparent in the first 30 seconds they're testing you. You get the meeting because you're different. Now, they they don't know what to expect. So they initially tested me in the first three minutes of the conversation, 30 seconds to three minutes of the conversation to see if I knew anything that I was talking about or if I was just coming in with a pretty face trying to sell them something. So that were they throwing, testing you, like throwing out a bunch of technical jargon language? It would be a technical language. question. It would be something, and I had done plenty of walkthroughs with counterparts. They were never given that. It was kind of the, oh, hey, man, you know, walk around, do the walkthrough, talk about um, golf or whatever. And with me, they wanted to see if I knew anything. How'd you take that? How'd you respond to that? Like when you you noticed the difference in how you're being treated? It was just kind of like, okay, I have an opportunity here and I can do one of two things. I can either bullshit my way through this conversation and try to act like I know what I'm talking about if I don't, or I can say that's a great question and redirect it to the right person who knows the technical response. But as long as I'm honest, upfront, and authentic with with the individual, then it was a customer that I, I was going to win that opportunity. I realized that pretty immediately. I think anybody in that environment walking in and seeing, being treated differently, and this could be in any any aspect, any position, you're treated differently than what you've observed anybody else being treated or any way somebody a way somebody else has been treated. It's like, gosh darn it, like why is this happening? You initially go, Ugh, like this sucks. Well, why why are we not talking about golf? Why do I get this technical question thrown in my face? It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. But if you in that moment understand you just need to be authentic and you have an opportunity to show this person yourself, even if you're embarrassed because you don't know the answer, at least show that and let them know that you're willing to be candid and willing to be authentic with them. And so it's actually a great thing at the end of the day because you're given a great opportunity to win a customer for life and create a relationship. 
Well, and it's like it, like you said earlier, yeah, in that moment, you might be, well, they're throwing technical tr- questions at me, but they didn't to the guy when I walked through with them. But a lot of guys were saying, I didn't even get to that point. Right. So They don't. Know. I mean, yeah. and you're given... I feel bad almost for the male counterpart because a lot of their customers are transactional where we're given an opportunity because we were tested like that to build a deeper relationship in moments in the first few minutes of a conversation. And so it is a good thing and and it doesn't have to be gender related. It could be anything, obviously, but um, to be given that opportunity to build something deeper than just a transactional exchange of golf or game conversation is a good opportunity if, if we identify it and take advantage of it. So you are super successful with what you do. Being a salesperson, you mentioned golf, building relationships in different ways. I have to imagine there's different challenges, especially in if, if a lot of your clients and relationships are male, there's a, there's a lot more challenges there. Like I'm not gonna go potentially, and I don't wanna speak for you, go to the cigar bar and have a cigar to hang out after work to build that relationship. So are there challenges there? And what are some ways that you've adapted or you haven't adapt, haven't had to adapt or how do you work around all that? It is challenging. I think the biggest challenge is we don't always get invited to the cigar lounge after work. We don't always get invited on the golf trip or to the bourbon tasting or to the lake trip or to these different relationship building events, uh, whether it's with customers or our colleagues, because they don't really know how to handle us and they don't want to it to seem inappropriate to us to invite us on a lake trip to do ice fishing. I cover very cold territory, so ice fishing is actually a real thing. Or to a golf trip, they're all staying in the same Airbnb, and what do you do with Cassie? Because all of a sudden, she can't stay in the Airbnb. What's she going to do? How do we kind of accommodate her or any female that's being potentially invited on these trips. So that's the biggest challenge. If you can overcome that and find ways of letting them know, hey, I'd love to go on that golf trip. I'd love to go to the lake. I'd love to do these things. I'll figure out my own accommodations. I'll get a hotel room offsite and rent a car and meet you guys every day, whatever it is. But letting them know that you're open to that and putting that out there, don't feel, and I, I've had to realize it's not me. I, I have to realize it's not that they don't want me there. And it's not that I just have to put it out there and make them feel comfortable with being invited. That's the first step. So if it's a cigar thing, yeah, I'll just burn my clothes afterwards. It's no big deal. <laughs> Invite me to the cigar thing. I have no problem going. I might not smoke a cigar, but I'd love to be there. And so how do you really let them know that you're in for all that put yourself out there so had, if you hear I've talking about it out there and you say hey i'd love to come too or hey or better yet be the planner true i've had to do that um plenty of times where i actually plan around what i know they want to do because i do primarily work with men and it is a big ratio difference so i have to think creatively of what they might want to do And then I make the plans, I make the recommendation or suggestion to do that. And uh, that way they can't get rid of me, even if they want to. It's like. (laughs) And if you make it something they're they're interested, they'll want to come. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
snow let's do snowmobiling <laughs> right okay it's great let's do the I, the the lake whatever it is fishing thing ice fishing which we haven't actually done yet but we've talked about a lot i hope you're going out and buying your uh lake fishing gear yeah or you know well, where to rent it you really stick a fishing pole in a hole and sit there and watch it that's what you do and well, drink i'll i look forward to hearing about how you planned this pulled it all together and yeah uh, and execute if you it. caught anything yeah me too I'll catch you a fish. <laughs> but that's a good question, or, or I think a good entree, right? So the participating in those ways when you know what they're interested in. So my mind went to two spots. Like one, what if I'm not interested? What if I hate cigar bars? And I really don't want to go and forget that. But my job is relationships and sales. So am I being and maybe, maybe as I'm talking through this, it's actually right. First, my first thought was, am I being inauthentic if I plan it and I go? But really, I guess maybe I'm not because my goal is a relationship. I love meeting with people on a different level and getting them on a different level. So maybe at the end of the day, I'm doing it through cigars, which eh, may be slightly inauthentic for me, but the real authenticity is the relationship. So where my where I was initially going as I talked myself through this, which you could probably share better from your experiences. One, if you're doing things you're not really interested in or planning them, are you not authentic then as we talked earlier, just be trust, open, honest, authentic. That's how you build and are successful in sales. But maybe it's that twofold piece. What do you think? Yeah, I think it comes with experience. I think it comes with time. Would I feel confident making being as authentic in the beginning, I'm not sure. I think I learned that that's what you have to be. And I think you're right. It's what is what are you trying to achieve out of this? What is your goal? If I don't want to go to the cigar bar or something today, I'm not going to make that re- recommendation. If I really want to go to Taylor Swift, I'm going to, you know, put it out there to my customers who wants to go to Taylor Swift and force somebody to go. And who can um, help find tickets? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Leverage the brand. Uh, but no, I, I think we all do things we don't want to do. I've said no to a handful of events or activities in the last 12 months just because I don't want to be traveling. I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to do it. But I'm at a point with my relationships that I can do that. And it's not going to be detrimental. It's not going to affect a relationship with that customer or with my colleagues or anybody from a different uh, vendor standpoint because we have those friendships in place. So I think that's super important because that goes back to some things you said earlier on where you the, the travel, like taking that job in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't do it today, but you did it earlier on. You put the work in. Yeah. You put the effort in. You put the energy in to get yourself to a place where you say, I don't have to go on that one because they know the relationships beyond that or whatnot. And so I've heard with other women I've met with too, maybe one or two, it's like, you're gonna have to put the work in Mm -hmm. at some point. If you want this, you gotta put the energy and the effort and the work in. You gotta work hard. You have to, absolutely. There's no way around it. But the more that you put in earlier on, the more opportunity you have to be flexible later on. I'm, I'm very grateful. I lucked out. My kids were really young at the time, so I was very fortunate. They don't remember that I wasn't at a game. They don't remember that I wasn't at a concert. I do, and it pains me. I mean, it's hard. 
And like I mentioned, I cried a lot early on because I would miss things that I can't I can't get those that time back. But for me, luckily, they were young enough where it's not something that I, I wasn't there for. If I miss a basketball game now, I miss a basketball game. It's a big deal. If I miss a concert now, I miss a concert. I wasn't there. I just had a, a travel week two weeks before the end of the year um, or before Christmas where I f- had seven flights in nine days. <laughs> Because I had to be in Chicago, but I had to be here for Christmas stuff. And I was just going pretty much back and forth every day to be at kid events, but to be in my meetings in Chicago. Because didn't you just keep your hotel room in Chicago or wherever? And you were actually that night sleeping here, but you just kept it because you didn't want to have to. Yes, I just had my suitcase there. And then at the end, I actually got sick and I was like, but I have to go get my suitcase. (laughs) So I had to fly back because all the best laid plans. You just have to be flexible, and that goes back to our previous conversation about having to adjust in the moment. It's like, well, I guess I'm going to fly up there to get my suitcase to fly back. But you just—it's great now because I can afford to be flexible and choose where I go and and what I do. But it's true to go back to the cigar comment or or that example. We're gonna put yourself out there so that or make the plans so that you're doing things to be involved because you might not get the invite otherwise and that's hard being a female in particular in the industry or any male dominant industry it's hard to be invited it's hard to participate it's hard to be thought of but the more that you put yourself out there and say no i'll be there i'll participate even if i don't play golf i'll go sit on the cart i will be there then you start to be the planner, then you start to automatically be a participant every single time. So that's big. And then the other thing, and this goes back to being authentic, is don't be somebody you're not on calls even, Zoom calls or in meetings or in person with people. Um, Be who you are. If that's being if that's saying a bad word a couple times in the conversation, which anybody who knows me would say a couple times. <laughs> Cassie, are we really okay. being honest here a couple times? We have a rule with my calls. We never record them. But be who you are because it usually brings down the tone of the room. Mm-hmm. If you're, if everybody in the room knows that you might even be, I mean, you might say something inappropriate, whatever it is. If, if you can bring the tone down that everybody else is like, oh, thank God I'm not going to offend her because she just offended me. <laughs> like, ah, I can be myself now because she's the most offensive person on this call. Is it okay to say that might be one of the reasons why I felt early on when I made the intro, like, we're going to click. But that's exactly why. And that's something I noticed about you immediately. It was, this is somebody I want to be around because I relate to them. They're not trying to be fake, trying to be somebody else, uh, which is very obvious to everybody. It's like you're yourself and you're not ashamed to be that way and everybody automatically feels more comfortable and that's how it is being a female in a male dominant industry or or the only woman on a call or presenting or anything else it's like the moment you bring that tone down and level set with everybody is the moment you actually see their authentic self because they're not terrified of offending you or changing the tone of the conversation you're disarming the environment maybe in the what they're thinking and feeling but also you mentioned earlier you know people who kind of were telling you what to do not to do who thought you would fail Mm -hmm. right so 
having that again just going back to being yourself so somebody says don't do this don't do that don't be that don't act that way at some point you've got to get comfortable with yourself to say i know what i'm doing i'm a good person or whatnot i've got this stop listening to everybody else take that chance yeah a lot of people like you said on what i said earlier a lot of people want you to fail but you've got to make sure that whatever you do you're not doing it to prove them wrong which is hard too so as much as people want you to fail What you can't do is take that and only do something to throw it in their face and say, you were wrong because I did this. And I think that there was a moment where that could have been my motivation to take the job in some capacities. I have a great relationship with my ex-husband and uh, my children's stepmom now. It wasn't always that case. And there could have been that moment where I made a decision just to say, I told you I could do this on my own. Look at me now. And that's never going to lead to long-term success or be the right answer or the right reasoning behind why you do something. Those long-term relationships, you're going to burn so many relationships when they realize you were kind of, I don't know, out to yeah, them that's, wrong. That's, that's not being true to yourself. So as as I say, be authentic to everybody else. Be the underlying tone there is be authentic to yourself because you're doing this for you. If you go into a meeting and you're never candid, you're never yourself, or if you make decisions based on what other people want or to prove somebody else wrong because they say that you're gonna fail, then you're failing yourself. And which is worse? That person is gonna walk away and go into their life the next moment, you're stuck in your own skin. You're stuck making that decision. So that's that's so much worse. And you asked, I apologize, but your question about being set up for failure. I think it was just that these others are telling you, you know, who's be authentic, be you, even though there's probably going to be a lot of people saying, don't do it that way, do it this way. This works for me. I just put aside my authenticity, my core, like what I really, my gut was feeling. And once I let it go, once I leaned into that, not to spite them, but because it's like, no, I feel something here. Right, you're passionate about it. It just has opened up so much, both for me positively, but also externally with relationships in the world. And so I think it was just back to don't let others kind of tell you who you should be or what you should do yeah. in those situations, be yourself. Go against the grid if that if that's what you need to do. Because everybody, we talked about this earlier, everybody has an opinion of what you should do, how you should do it, and how you should live your life. And maybe it's in line with how you feel you should. And that's great, it's reinforcing what you already know. But letting somebody else make those decisions or judgments um, about you is never going to benefit you or impact your success or potential success. And you're right, I'm sure you got quite a bit of pushback of people giving you a hard time about that. But the passion that you exude when it talking about what you're doing here is obvious that you made the right decision. Well, and you and I talked about that one time, we were just talking about being a good salesperson, you said that you have to find what are you passionate about, and, and drive through that live through that. And I remember sitting talking about wine right <laughs> i think it was probably having a glass of wine probably. but i was picking your brain like you're great at this i am you know more introverted i need to be better and you said yeah what are you passionate about and go after that and i think that's probably a good tip for anybody in any career but especially somebody in a sales or business development role i think the best sales is not selling i think when you realize what you want to do you don't have to try that hard to do it 
And so when you really sit down and address yourself and realize what makes you happy, then you're no longer struggling to achieve happiness because you feel it. And the same with sales. I mentioned selling bad technology earlier, and I say that because it was something I learned about sales. Maybe I I was trying to, I had to sell a product that I didn't think was great, but I'm told to sell it and I'm a salesperson, so what do I do? I had to find the few things that made it different, that were beneficial to it, that were, maybe it was a piece of technology that was unique to this type of product, whatever it was. I really had to understand the few things about this certain piece, product, technology that set it apart from others because it made it something that I could sell and believe in. I'm, I believe in this difference between this and a competitor. And so it's something that I could actually sell because I'm not selling anymore. I'm telling somebody how it's different and I'm highlighting key differences from a technical standpoint or whatever, but I had to do that because that way you're not selling. Anybody who's trying to sell, anybody who's doing something because somebody else tells them that that's what they should be doing opposed to how, what they feel they should be doing, it's never going to work. That's gonna be a transactional sale. You can do it, you can sell a ton of it, but it's gonna be a transaction. And some people are, are good in that mode like some people are sales they're great at that some people they're i think their success in sales is different and so i think it goes back to a lot of things you said today even early on about not being good at school but being great at relationships and being authentic and true and honest and you know for you in that moment was what is good about this like i'm not just selling the product i'm selling those good pieces and so how do i then circle back to my core values my gut what i'm good at it's making that link of picking those things that i want to promote and building it that way versus i just have to send, sell 10 of these this month to win this bonus or whatnot right so it's less about i mean it's still about you i guess because it was doing it your way but in the way that it helps the client or the customer out not just i got the company said i had to do this yeah and it's i'm not trying to put down somebody transactional sales at all uh because there is a place for that and it's very important but there are the differences there's a difference between am i having a transaction or am I creating a relationship and building business and a partner partnership for life? And that applies to professionally in sales as well as personally. And you just need to know or it needs to resonate with you which which you identify with. Because that's it's fine if it's a transaction. It's fine if you need to hit a quota and you need to sell 10 of these and all you want to do is hand them off and move on to the next. I, you know, worked at the mall in high school and that's exactly what I was doing. And it's fine. But I'm at a point in my profession, what's important to me is building the relationships. And what's important in my personal life is being true to myself and making decisions that I know are in my in my family's best interest. Well what you're naturally good at. Like that was what you were always naturally good at. So try to force yourself in this box of the other way wouldn't work for you. But for somebody else it might great that works and so i think it's coming back to that um what are you comfortable with and what are you good at and having the confidence to live that and be that the confidence and, and just the strength to do it the strength to be true to yourself whatever that means well in strength and courage to me i wrote down several things because i feel like throughout our conversation you almost said it 
I don't want to say flippantly, but just like, oh, everybody does this. When you're, you said you negotiated the relocation again and again, you went into the marketing role and you're like, I'm not going to do it that way. This is how I'm going to do it. This is who I am. And this is how I'm going to be, you know, with traveling or ice fishing or cigar, those different stories we brought up. You're like, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a part of it, but, and I may not smoke the cigar, but I'm going to do it this way. Uh, how, uh, great. I guess I think of women in general, right? And it may be hard to negotiate or stand up for what we want or say, we need this, or I'll start here, but in six months, if things go well, can you see me here? Like, how did you do that? Or how do you, what tips would you give to others to be able to do that? We talked about projecting onto other people. It almost feels to me like you need to be that way. You need to to kind of, if you put that out, then somebody else realizes how do I say this? It, it doesn't take much to be confident and strong and determined for somebody else to say, okay, yeah, do it. That's fine. That's great. Like she needs to negotiate these terms. Again, as I've gotten, as I've gotten older, it's like, oh, they didn't give this to me or they didn't offer this. Well, how do they even know if you didn't throw it out there? How well, that's, did- I guess, right. So being, I don't know if brave's enough, but willingness to ask and maybe that's what it is at the end of the day maybe it's just you get to a point where it's like why wouldn't i do this why wouldn't i put myself out there why wouldn't i make my terms known because at the end of the day and if i wasn't able to negotiate those things would i still be at the company probably not do i think it's in the best interest for myself and my company and what we've built over the last six years to be there yes i do so if I didn't put that out there, where would I be today? Probably not there. But it took the putting it out there. And a lot of people aren't willing to take that risk. They don't want to be told no. I don't know why so many people are scared of being told no. But it's okay to be told no. It means that there's a yes around the corner. And it's a much better situation to be in. So be told no. I think that's the biggest thing is we need to get past our fear of no. I think it's a fear of it's almost seen as a mistake. Like if you hear no or whatever, oops, I made a mistake and that's bad. Like if I get a red mark on my paper as a kid or if I make a mistake, that's bad. When actuality, as I'm older, you learn that actually the mistakes are really good because that means you've tried something new. You're getting yourself out there. You're And I think a lot of what you talked about today is just really you threw yourself outside of I'm going to try this job that makes me relocate. I'm going to, you know, now get into sales. I'm going to now try this this way, try this this way. A lot of what you've done over time is I'm going to give it a try and let's see where it goes. You have no idea what's going to happen if you don't try. No idea what's going to happen if you don't take the risk at times. It's not to say you should always take a risk, but you just don't know. Yeah. And a lot of people are scared to take that chance. And, you know, when you want to live in a world of, well, they told me to be this way, that feels safer in the moment. I think, but is actually riskier in the long run because now you've just given up a piece of yourself by control. staying. You're letting else somebody else you. control your narrative instead of taking control and ownership of it. Which I'll say, I think it has been hard for me growing up. And I've said this to other women and maybe I'm making a bad assumption here that, that men, at least my age, my husband, who's same age as me has not had to deal with this as much as I have, but 
you know, seeing early on all these magazines, you know, you, I don't know if magazines are a big thing in stores anymore, but love online delivery. But, uh, you know, all those magazines of women, <laughs> women and, you know, they have to look this way. You have to be so tall. You have to have your hair and your makeup and everything professionally done. And now with airbrushing, it's like, that's not a real human being. And I just have always felt like, you know, women are told the, what the ideal woman is. And you clean and you cook and you do it all and you're the craft mom and you're the birthday mom and you're the this and you're that and you, but you're also handling things at work and you're the greatest wife ever and you're taxi. Like, no, we can't be all that. We can't, it's not possible. But two, be who you are. So I tend to be, you know, a little more athletic, a little more whatever uh, versus kind of that always well put together, <laughs> perfect makeup woman. And how do we just... I don't, I don't know the answer, and you may not have the answer either, but how do we get out of our own way? How do we, how do we break that mental block? If break we the mold. I think you asked about my grandmother earlier and her making, being the biggest supporter for making a very hard decision. And I just think about conversations with both of my grandmothers and what they wish they would have done or their, how, how they encourage me and my sister and others to take those jobs to do things that are out of the mold of what we're told we should be like and how we should do things listen to them because they've lived full lives and i feel like we're all going to fall into that trap if we don't pay attention to it of living the life we're expected to live based on media based on others opinions based on whatever it might be and it goes back to not being true to yourself. So it's going to be detrimental to you to you as a person. And when you have the influence of somebody like a grandmother or, or somebody else who you don't expect to encourage you to be different and to do something that maybe you question or others are telling you not to, it, it's understanding that it's okay to break the mold because at the end of the day, in 60 years, what are you going to look back on and what did you build for yourself? Was it based off of what everybody else, is, else wanted you to build and how everybody else wanted you to be and act and what they wanted you to wear and how they wanted you to look and how you should raise your kids? Or is it how you knew you should, what you felt you how you expressed yourself to be who you are, the decisions you knew that you should have made? And I certainly don't want to wake up then and, and have regrets and wish I would have done things differently. So if I create waves now and if I make others look at me and say, gosh, what is she doing? Or, you know, have opinions of me that might not be the best. That's not going to affect me when I wake up then and look back and I'm grateful for being authentic and true to myself. Right. And with the right intent and the right heart in your place with what you're doing. And what are we teaching our daughters and our sons, our children, you know? Are we teaching them the last thing I want them to do or the last way I want them to be is to try to fit the mold that everybody else has built or created for them or told them that they should fit into? Yeah, I mean, I think looking at people who are who are inspirations or celebrities or whatever you wanna call people, successful people, it's they're the ones who people told them you can't do that and they did it anyway because it was true to themselves, yeah. you know? Gosh, anybody, right? Like Oprah Winfrey, uh, Lady Gaga. I mean, countless she, stories. Yeah, all these people who said no, 
I'm going to be true to myself. And those are the ones, like you said, and all those calls and different things, it lets your guard down. People want to be real now. They want to relate. And that's how. And they failed. And they thought it was the end of the world a million times over, like kids do today. They failed a test. They're upset. They feel like it's the end of the world. Somebody was mean to them at school. We get that today in our professional lives as well. But you wake up the next day, you move on, and it doesn't weigh you down. I think that's a great way to maybe wrap up because the conver- at least for me, I don't know for you, the conversation was so good. We've gone a long way today. But I don't I'm not a techie person. So one, you forgive me, everybody else out there forgive me. So when we talk about what you do, who you work with, what you what products you sell. Again, I want people to be able to find you. So what is all of that and where do they find you? <laughs> uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Cassie Berger. I work for Sure S H U R E Incorporated. You can also check our consumer site at sure.com. We essentially manufacture high quality audio solutions. I focus on the integrated systems vertical, which essentially means if you are in a corporate environment, an educational institution, could be to K-, K to 12, could be government, anywhere that you see a microphone, there's a good chance it is a sure microphone. So look in the ceiling if you see a little green light. It's I was going to say, you, sure things are microphones you don't even know are microphones, yeah, at least for me. Yeah. I always love uh, in movies when we see microphones, I always tell my kids, that's, that's what I sell. So that's what I do. And uh, our company has been around almost 100 years. So when you think of the old Elvis Presley microphone, that is what we still continue to manufacture today. Wow. No, I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, it's been wonderful chatting with you more. Uh, I do wish we had a glass of wine in front of us. <laughs> so maybe the next time we do this. <laughs> yeah, maybe that will be... Uh another iteration kind of this podcast or you know like when they do some of those shows those reality shows and they do the reflection back on the year and they're all drinking and getting crazy there you go maybe that that taste yeah well thank you cassie for coming in today and sharing your experiences your wisdom your tips and your uh, tricks because i'm sure there's somebody out there who will hear something and say i really needed to hear that today so i know i'm one of them so thank you thank you cynthia appreciate it This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, eBooks, videos, and more.